All right. Good morning, guys. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> well done. My name is Steve. I am the lead pastor here at Trailhead, and um, it's a great privilege for me to be back up here. I've had two weeks out of the pulpit, which has been wonderful. It's kind of changed up my rhythms a little bit, giving me a deep breath, and I'm glad to be up here again this morning. Today, we're going to be looking at baptism, as, uh, as Terry said. Um, so I'm going to ask you to grab your Bibles and open up to Matthew chapter 28. Um, if you don't have a Bible, grab one off the floor in front of you. And if you're using one of our Bibles, you're going to page 562, Matthew chapter 28. If you don't own a Bible, please feel free to grab one uh, of ours and take it with you. We would love for that to be our gift to you, to equip you to dig in and continue reading the Word of God. Um, So today we're going to be talking about baptism, what it is, why we do it, why it's important. So let's take a look at page... um, I said 562. Yeah, don't go to page 5. I don't even know where 562 is. Is that in Song of Songs? I can't get out of there. I'm telling you, man, it's just trying to pull me back in. It's page 835 in our Bibles. Page 835 in our Bibles. Matthew chapter 28. Sorry about that. All right, we're going to start reading in uh, verse 16. This is right after, by the way, it's right after the resurrection of Jesus. His disciples um, are, are going to, to meet him. He's going to give them their final marching orders. And uh, this is, of course, the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. So it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. <laughs> but some doubted. I love how honest that is. Verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. The word of the Lord. All right, so to start out our morning, um, I want to take you back to a very important day in in your life. Um, It's so important that while you don't remember it, you still celebrate it every single year. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? The day your wonderful little face was born into the world, right? Even if you don't like babies, you were one once, which means you like babies, okay? Um, So we want to talk about the day you were born. It is strange that we celebrate you on your birthday, it's not like you did anything exceptional. Seriously, all the credit should go to your mom. Your dad didn't do much. He contributed a couple minutes. And, and you, well, you, you, pretty much, um, you pretty much slept through the whole thing. Um, now, your mom, she's the real hero of the story, isn't she? Mom's kind of get an amen on that. I mean, really, we should be celebrating our mothers. They're the ones that incubated our ungrateful little butts for nine months, literally infusing us with their life. Here's the thing. I think every birthday should be Mother's Day. They're the ones that gave us birth. They're the ones that did the work. We just emerged. I mean, honestly, we should just call it Emergence Day because that's all we did. Um, We slept through it, and, and here we were. Now, seriously, for a minute, I want you to think about what happened when you were born. You did emerge into life. It was a life you didn't earn and was in many ways marked out for you 
in advance. It was, for better or for worse, defined by your parents. You inherited a home, a family. Um, you inherited your, your DNA, right? Some of this was really good. And some of it, honestly, was, was pretty bad. Um, but here's the thing. That, that, that's what you inherited, right? Your characteristics, right? You, you have your, your, your mom's smile. You have your dad's weird sense of humor, right? You, you, <laughs> and you're discovering the older you get, the more you realize that is, in fact, true, right? And, and you inherited other inclinations toward math or science or, or language. These things were just given to you from the fact that you were born. When you were born, you were given a name, right? Your first name is unique to you, or at least semi-unique. There are a lot of Steves in the world, but, but I'm the only Steve in my family. It'd be really weird if my mom and dad named every kid in my family Steve, right? It does make me unique in my, my family, right? But I also inherited a last name. My last name, Mizell, is my family name. That's the name that ties me to a tribe, it ties me to a community. It ties me to a, a broader circle of people, right? Everybody with that name Mizell is, is tied to a similar history, a similar family experience. Some of you grew up really proud of your name. You, you're proud of what it represents. You're, you, you, have, you have a lot of joy in that history. Some of you grew up not very proud of your name, honestly, um, because you, you weren't proud of what it represented. You weren't proud of, of what it, it stood for. Um, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. When you believed in Jesus, you were born into a new family. You were given a new name, and you were infused with a new spiritual DNA. And baptism Baptism is the symbol of this new birth, and it is the celebration of this new birth. Baptism is, in a sense, your renaming ceremony. The text we read today, um, you know, Jesus just risen from the dead, and, and these are kind of his final marching orders for his, his disciples before he ascends into heaven, right? The next thing that happens after this, of course, is the book of Acts, which we're going to be launching into a study of um, on Easter morning. Um, but that is the, the, the account of the early church and how it grew. Um, but his, his, his marching orders are pretty clear. He looks at his disciples and he says, first of all, I want you to continue to be my disciples. In other words, I want you to believe in me and follow me. That, that's really what it means to be a disciple, to believe in Jesus and then to bring all the, the areas of our lives into ultimate conformity to that belief, right? To, to learn what it means to walk in submission and enjoy um, to this new faith, right? To become like Jesus, right? So he's saying, be disciples who make disciples, I want you to be those who walk in your faith, transformed by that faith, and I want you to share that faith. I want you to disciple people who don't know me to me, right? So, so go out and disciple people who are far from me that they might come near. And, and then I want you to disciple those who have faith in me into a deeper walk with me. I want you to, to disciple them into learning what it means to bring these areas of their lives into submission to me, into the blessing that it means to follow me, right? So disciple them. The first step of obedience in the life of disciple was baptism. Jesus says, I want you to go out and make disciples, baptizing them. 
The first step of obedience, that first step of, of bringing your life in line with your new faith and in, in, in submission to your Savior is baptism. Now, we, um, we practice here at Trailhead something called credo-baptism, um, or, or better known sometimes as believer's baptism. What that means is, is that when we look at the New Testament, we see a very clear pattern of people coming to faith in Jesus and then being baptized in that order. Right? We don't baptize people so that they might come to faith. We don't baptize them as a precursor to faith. We baptize them as a celebration of the faith that has been born within them, a trust in Christ that has um, led them into a new relationship with God. When we read the New Testament, every single example we find is essentially that. People believe in Jesus, and then they are baptized. The word baptize comes from a Greek word, baptizo, which literally means to immerse, which is why we practice baptism by immersion, right? We bring a big tank up here and uh, we take people and, and we stick them all the way under, right? Every bit of them, right? And, and, um, and so we dip them in, we immerse them in water and bring them back out. There's a lot of reasons we do this. One of the most powerful is that it's symbolic of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, right? When Jesus died, he he was immersed in death. He was, in fact, immersed in our sin and the judgment for our sin. And when he rose again, it was because that payment had been made completely. Right? When he rose again, it meant that everything that was wrong with us was left behind in, in the immersion of that death. And when he came back to life, it showed that not only did he come back to life, but he could invite us into that new life. So baptism symbolically represents that death, burial, and resurrection, right? When I dip you under the water, if I hold you long enough, you'll die, okay? That's why you need to trust me, right, if I'm going to baptize you, because I will bring you back out. I mean, that's the whole point, is, is it represents that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Right? So when you enter the water, it's symbolic of the fact that while you were a sinner and you had offended God, you are entering into the death of Jesus. Vicariously, his death was substitutionary for yours. And you're identifying with that death. And when you rise out of the water, it's symbolic of the fact that you stand not now on your merit, but his. Because he died and rose again for you, you now stand in his victory, not your failure. Right? So, so baptism represents that, that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But there's something going on, else going on here too, and that's kind of what I want to dig into this morning. Um, there's a great story in, in John chapter 3 where Jesus is hanging out and this rabbi, a Pharisee, comes and speaks to him in, in the middle of the night. His name is Nicodemus. He comes at night because there was a lot of social pressure at this point. Jesus was becoming controversial, and uh, it would have been uh, potentially controversial, dangerous, risky for Nicodemus to come visit him during the day. So he shows up at night, and I think he's really expecting kind of a rabbi-to-rabbi type conversation, like a mono-e-mono, like, let's just talk about this whole kingdom of God thing. And, um, and Jesus totally jukes him. It's awesome um, and leaves him completely confused because basically um, he says to him, look, all the stuff you're trusting to, to get you into the kingdom of God is going to fail you. You're trusting your religious record. You're trusting your good works. You're trusting the fact that, that you're living a good life. It's not going to work, man. And Nicodemus is like, well, then what are, you, what, what are you saying? How am I supposed to get there? And Jesus says, you must be born again. 
Now, understandably, Nicodemus is incredibly confused. He literally says, what are you talking about? Should I re-enter my mother's womb? I don't think that's possible. Jesus says, no, that's not what I'm talking about, right? You were born of water, talking about your physical birth. Flesh gives birth to flesh. But now you need to be born of spirit. You need to be born again. You need a new birth, a new beginning that is spiritual in its nature. See, when you were born the first time, you inherited your name, your family, your home, your DNA. You inherited um, a sinful nature that has been handed down all the way from our first parents. When you believe in Jesus this time, you're born again. And this time you get a new name, a new family, a new home, and a new spiritual DNA that is marked by the obedience of Christ. You need to be born again. Now, Nicodemus walked away confused that night. It's not like Nicodemus had this wonderful, incredible, you know, conversion experience right there on the spot. He, he, he walked away a bit baffled, and that's because he had to unlearn a bunch of stuff that he had learned previously. All the stuff that he had taught people, all the stuff that had been taught to him about how he was supposed to approach God was, was just wrong, right? It's not, he was taught that you live a good life and you earn your way to heaven, and he had to unlearn that stuff, and he did. He eventually became a believer um, and, and became a, a follower, a disciple, of Jesus. Now, here's the thing. When, when you believe in Jesus, you aren't who you used to be. You have a new identity, and that new identity is marked by a new name. When I was born into my family, as I said, I was given the name Steve Mizell, right? That, that is my, my name. And that name, honestly, was marked by all kinds of things, many things that I'm not incredibly proud of. When I became a believer in Jesus, I was given a new name. And honestly, I, as I've thought about it, I, the name Steve Mizell, for me, before I became a believer, and I, I couldn't have put it this way, I didn't know how to put it in words, but literally, this is, this is the name that I used to have. It was Steve, son of shame. That's what marked my life. It was this deep, deep sense of failure and inadequacy this deep, deep sense of not measuring up and never being able to measure up. When I became a believer, I had a new name, Steve, the Son of God. And when I got baptized, that was the celebration of that new name. It was, in a sense, my public renaming ceremony. That's kind of what Jesus is talking about in verse 19, where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, what's interesting is there's one name, but three names. You notice that? <laughs> Baptize them not in the names plural, but the name singular of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not my goal this morning to unpack the complex idea of the Trinity, um, but I do need to address it a little bit because that's what it's talking about. One God, three persons, Right? We don't believe that, that there are three gods. That is not what the Bible teaches. There is one God, but that God exists in three persons. Three persons co-equal in glory, majesty, and power. The clearest way I can put it is, is very simply there are, there are three who's but one what. Okay? You push into that very far and your head's really going to hurt, I guarantee you. It doesn't make logical sense and there is absolutely no analogy that can make it more palatable 
It is a, a mystery. We simply have to take what is revealed to us and, and say, okay, there are things here that, that logically don't make sense to us. But, but here's the thing. God, who is eternal community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, living co-equal in glory, majesty, and love, existing in eternal relationship with one another, loving and being loved, knowing and being known, this God, it's in His name that I get baptized. And that's why I only get dunked once, right? There's only one God, but that dunking, that baptism represents my, my moving into the triune nature of that God. Three names. So I want you to think about it this way. Baptism is a renaming ceremony. It means that we are baptized into the triune nature of God. It, it spiritually represents your faith in Jesus. Obviously, it symbolically represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as you go into the water and are raised out of the water. But it also represents your new identity in God. So let's talk a little bit about your new name. Let's talk about what it means to be baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. First of all, when you are baptized into the name of the Father, what does that mean? How is that unique um, and different? It means, first of all, that, that you no longer approach God purely as your creator. You no longer approach God first as your judge. He is creator and he is sovereign judge. That is his nature. And honestly, if that's how we were purely approaching him, he would be terrifying in his nature because he is absolutely holy, blindingly bright. And in him, there is not only no wickedness, there is no tolerance for wickedness. We would become like dry kindling in the presence of a consuming fire. That God is now our father. What that means is that we have a new family. And that family is led by God himself, the good father. All right, take a look at this verse. This is 1 John Chapter 3, verse 1. John, talking to his disciples, says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. You guys, I don't, I don't know when the last time was that this thought amazed you. But it should. We were rebels we were in our sin enemies of the sovereign of the universe. We were in our shame unclean and unfit to enter the holy presence of God, unable to fix ourselves, unable to solve our greatest problem. And God, in his love, did it for us. And he didn't just solve our problem so that we would be cleansed and sent out. He solved it for us that we might be cleansed and invited in. He doesn't just say, okay, now you're good, go away. He says, now you are good and you come to my table. You are part of my family. You relate to me now as a father. See what kind of love the father has given to us, that we should be called children of God because that's what we are. Galatians 3.26 says this, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Some of you are going to be saying, and, and I understand it, you're going to say, why sons? That sounds sexist. Why, why sons? Why not sons and daughters? And there's a reason for it. And, and, and to understand it, we need to understand the, the cultural background 
of, of, this, of the context of, of this statement, right? Because it's actually a pretty radically inclusive statement. During this period of time, sons were the only legal heirs. In the family, sons were the only ones that could inherit property. Sons were the only ones that could go to court and actually have a voice and find justice. And what Paul is saying in Galatians chapter 3 is it doesn't matter if you're male or female. You are all sons legally. In other words, you all come to God with the same legal and relational standing. This is an incredibly radical thing to say. Regardless of your past, regardless of your mistakes, regardless of your culturally imposed limitations, we all approach God on the same footing. We get to come now as sons, not just subjects. We get to come as sons. Paul says in Romans 8.15 this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. See, slaves, I'm going to pause there. Slaves are always performing, and they're always afraid of not performing well enough, right? That's what slaves do. Slaves have to obey. They have to perform. And if they don't, they are, they're punished, right? And Paul's just saying that's basically what our life was like under the law when we were trying to perform, when we were trying to earn our way to God. There was that sense of constantly never measuring up, that fear. What if I don't quite? Because I know I don't quite, right? We have not, as believers, inherited a spirit of slavery, to fall back into fear, we have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. I, I don't know that I can adequately express the radical nature of what's being, being, being said here, you guys. We are invited to approach God as Abba. Abba was the first word that Hebrew children often learned to speak, very much like our daddy. It doesn't mean that we come to God in an, in an infantile state or with an immature vocabulary. It means we come to him with intimacy, the intimacy of, of a son who has not just a legal right, but a relational right to intimacy. When, when you, if you had a, a father that was worth anything, when you were little and you were hurt or you were crushed or you were fearful, you not only had a legal right, you had a relational right to climb up into his lap, to be held by him, to be comforted by him, to be assured by him, to have his strength infuse you with courage, to have his love infuse you with delight. And what God is saying is that you are now my child. You have that access because I've given you my name. We get to approach the sovereign God of the universe as our Abba. So when we're baptized in the name of the Father, we are celebrating our sonship that we have been adopted into the very family of God. Now, we're also baptized into the name of the Son, right? And of course, there is speaking of Jesus, right? So we're also baptized into the name of the Son. Now, as mentioned previously, this, this speaks of us sharing the benefit of His death, burial, and resurrection, right? When we're baptized into Jesus, we are baptized into His record. He takes our record and, and, and He leaves it nailed to the cross, really, 
All of our sins, all of our failures, all of our shame, man, that, that stuff died when he died. And when he rose again, he rose again in, in, a, in, a, in life and victory and power and, and, and hope. And we stand covered in his record, not ours, right? So we are baptized into Jesus, his, his performance for us. But it also speaks not just about us taking on his record, but us taking on his identity, we have a new spiritual DNA as a result of our faith in Christ. In the same way that, that as you get older, you're going to look and act more and more like your mom or dad, right? There are things about you, you're like, holy cow, I'm turning into my mother, right? Or I'm turning into my dad, right? The more you, you progress, the more that DNA shapes you. The same is true in your spiritual walk. You're going to become more and more like Jesus, because that spiritual DNA will change you from the inside out. What does that mean? Take a look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Notice, notice what he's saying there. That's DNA language, right? This is yours in Christ Jesus. It, it, because you are in Christ, this mind is now in you, who, though he was in the form of God, which means that, that he preexisted before his birth as God, co-equal with God, the very essence of God. He didn't count equality with God, a thing to be grasped. What that means is he didn't look at his experience as being God, as something to be selfishly protected at all costs, but instead emptied himself. He didn't empty himself of his deity. He couldn't do that. God cannot cease to be God, but he did empty himself of his rights of being God. And he veiled his glory, and he took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's very interesting. I want you to notice how the character of Jesus and the name of Jesus are wed in this passage, right? He humbled himself. He became obedient even to the point of death. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. It is the name that was his due, the name that he deserved, and the name that was his be, before he humbled himself into taking on humanity. See, this is who Jesus is. He is a glorious servant. He's God, but he's a humble God. And because of that humility and because of that glory, God has bestowed on him the name that is worthy of that glory. You guys catch this. In God's kingdom, humility is strength. <laughs> Which really means that in our kingdom it is too. We just miss it. Humility is strength. There is no need for pride. See, pride is all about pretending and performing. 
Pride is all about puffing up and having images and trying to impress and trying to get people to tell us what we desperately want to hear and get people to think what we desperately want them to think. Why? Because we are so desperately insecure in ourselves that we need people to lift us up or we feel we will be crushed under the weight of our own inadequacy. Humility allows us to simply be and to rest in the glory that isn't ours. Jesus was a humble God as he came as a servant. Humility is strength. See, in God's kingdom, the strong serve the weak. They don't exploit them. They don't use them. They don't have a a need to feel superior over them. Jesus, the glorious one, expressed his glory by becoming an obedient servant to call, to save us, and and to call us to faith. And in faith, he's calling us to a new way to relate to each other. We're called to love each other. In fact, Jesus, when he was speaking to his disciples, says, said, I give you a new commandment, a, a new character of commandment, the greatest of commandments. I want you to love one another as I have loved you. In that, every other commandment is, 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 is made whole. Love. And love flows in service. Love flows in giving. See, love flows when we stop trying to make ourselves great by making others small. Love flows when we stop feeding off of the envy of others. (laughs) I I think probably nine-tenths of most of our Facebook activity is right there. I want you to envy my meal. I want you to envy my day. I want you to envy my... And even sometimes in our... I won't, I won't go off on Facebook. Here's the thing, you guys. Being baptized into the name of Jesus means this, that we have nothing to prove and no one to impress. We have nothing to prove and no one to impress. You know why? Because I am covered in Christ. Why do I need your approval? I am covered in Christ. Why do I need your respect? I am covered in Christ. Why do I need you to feed my ego? The God of the universe has not only given me his name, he has covered me with his character. And that frees me to the strength of humility. That frees me to the joy of service. That frees me from stopping my need to build my own kingdom, establish my own name, put out my own record, push out my resume. It allows me to simply sit back and rest in his record and take joy in his approval. Because when the God of the universe delights in me, I am free to delight in you without using you. We are baptized into the name of the Son, which means we are immersed in his character, immersed in his name. And we are now free to to celebrate the glory of simply following a glorious God. We're free to simply be human. I don't have to compete with God or try to be God. I can simply be what I was created to be because that's what he created me to be. And he takes delight in that and he covers it with glory. When we are baptized in the name of Jesus, we are, we are celebrating our freedom to be humble, our freedom to be human, our freedom to be servants.
Now, we're also baptized into the name of the Spirit. There's a ton of confusion in the church about the nature and the work of the Spirit, and, and our church is diverse enough that we have people really from, from multiple streams. Some of you were raised to believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures. Honestly, um, you were taught to believe that the Spirit existed, but you were kind of nervous He would ever show up um, because that stuff just gets weird, right? You read through the book of Acts, and there's stuff in there that you wish wasn't there, right, because you're afraid it might actually happen here, um, for you, I need to tell you that the Spirit of God is a real person, not just an idea, right? And He is active and He is moving, and sometimes He does some crazy stuff, right? That's, that's who He is, and that's what He does. He is, he is um, creative and powerful and present. Some of you are raised, on the other side, to be obsessed with the Spirit. You have come to equate the presence of the Spirit with, with radical, strong, emotional experiences. And you went to church waiting for the Spirit to fall and take your breath away like some Holy Spirit ice bucket challenge. Right? You knew things were getting good when you were like knocked to the floor kind of experience. What you need to hear is, is the Spirit of God's primary role is not to give you deep emotional experiences. <laughs> the Spirit doesn't exist to simply thrill your heart and give you the next emotional high. The presence of the Spirit often has an emotional effect upon us. It doesn't always. And his, his work is not primarily to give us ecstatic personal um, experiences. His role is to point us to Jesus. Take a look at this. This is uh, John chapter 16, verses 7 through 11. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. By the way, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. So he's, he's telling them, I'm getting ready to go die, and I'll rise again, and, and then I'm going to disappear for a while, right? I'm going to ascend. And he's, he's warning them. He's saying, look, I'm going to go, but it's good for you that I go. Why? Because if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. The helper, of course, is the Spirit of God, the paraclete. Um, he is speaking of, of the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, listen to this, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That sounds like a total Debbie Downer, but listen to what he says. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. In other words, he's not just out there crushing people with condemnation. That's not what the Spirit of God does. That's what the evil one does. The Spirit of God is not out there putting a bunch of condemnation on people. He is waking them up to the fact that they have personal sin because there's actually a Savior. Concerning sin, why? Because they don't believe in me. The only sin that will ever keep you from the presence of God is the sin of not believing in Jesus. See, we're all alienated from God. We're all separate from God. But the one sin that ultimately keeps us all from God is not believing the good news that Jesus died and rose again that we might have. The Spirit of God comes and wakes up our hearts to say, you need a Savior. And God loved us enough to give us that Savior. So the Spirit points to Jesus and convicts us of sin, not just condemnation, but specifically, you need to believe in Jesus. You need to turn to your substitute that, that you might be forgiven, right? Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. What he's speaking of there is his future, that he's saying, I'm going to go die, and I'll be buried, and I'll rise again, and then I'm going to ascend into the presence of, of, of God, and there I will be your advocate, I will stand between you and God and I will put my record over you. 
What he's saying is the Spirit of God comes and convicts us for our need of a new righteousness, an alien righteousness that is not our own, but is a free gift from him that will cover us and free us to actually enter the presence of God. So concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, not to to put fear, the Spirit isn't out there just like crushing people with this great sense of of God's holiness. There, There is a great sense of God's holiness, but why? Because the ruler of the world's been judged. In other words, on the cross, Christ solved our greatest problem. The Spirit, what this is all getting around to is this. The Spirit is active, waking up people's hearts to the beauty of Jesus. The Spirit's primary role is to wake people up to their need of Jesus and then point their hearts to Jesus that He might get the glory and we might get the benefit. The Spirit is active in this world in the gospel. Yes, when we preach the gospel, when we share the gospel, we are not simply sharing words, and it never rests on our own power. When we open up the gospel and share it with others, we are inviting the Spirit of God to work through His Word in the lives of those that we share it with, in the same way that it worked in our lives. The Spirit is on mission to wake people up. He is on mission to give life to the dead. He is on mission to call people to faith in Jesus. So to be baptized in the name of the Spirit is to become one with that mission. We are now sent ones in the same way that Jesus sent the Spirit of God that he might play this role, that he might, that, that he might play this critical role of, of, of waking people up, of opening eyes, of, of bringing life from death. We're now baptized into that mission as sent ones Our primary mission in life, you guys, is no longer to accumulate wealth or to garner fame or to build our own kingdoms. Our primary mission in life as disciples is to follow God. You guys, how foolish it is to build up a storehouse of everything that's going to pass away. How foolish it is to, to like get this, man, look at my storage unit. It is filled with all these things that I can't keep that can't follow me, right? The one who dies with the most toys wins. We understand the irony of that statement because it's just stupid, right? You guys, we live in the overlap of the ages. The age that was is passing away. The age that is coming has already dawned. It is marked by the resurrection of Christ. And when he comes back, he will establish a new kingdom. And we have the unique opportunity during this time to live for the age that is coming, not for the one that is dying, And that means living on mission with the Spirit who is on mission to make much of Jesus. We are sent out like the Spirit to live for and to tell others of the age to come. To point to Jesus, to make Jesus known both in the way we live and in the words we speak, both in the way we love each other and love those that are are outside of the faith and in the way we speak to each other and we speak to those that are outside of the faith. You guys, what that means is we have a profound purpose for our lives. You want to know why you exist? It's right here. You want to know why you're still here? It is is right here. Every other purpose is subservient to this one. Your primary purpose is not to be a mom. Your primary purpose is not to be a dad. Your primary purpose is not to be a provider. Your primary purpose is not to be a kingdom builder or an entrepreneur or an artist. Your primary purpose is to make much of Jesus. 
Your primary purpose is to be on mission. And you do that by being a good mom, a good dad, a good provider, a good artist, a good musician. You do that by by being a human to the glory of God. The difference is we don't try to be a human to the glory of ourselves. We are freed. We take on the name of the Spirit, which means we take on the mission of the Spirit. We become part of God's eternal movement to make much of Jesus to point the glory to where it belongs and to call others to it. So when we're baptized into the name of the Spirit, we celebrate our new purpose in life, our new mission as messengers of the good news. So you guys, we're baptized into the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and Spirit, the triune God. And that celebrates our sonship, that celebrates that we are now, they have the DNA of a servant, the freedom and the strength of humility and the DNA of those who have been sent on mission. So let's take a few moments and just talk about how this applies to you. There are those in this room who haven't believed in Jesus and I am glad you're here. I, I'm thankful that you um, trust this community and, and trust this is a place to come and hear and explore and find out more about what we believe and what makes us tick. Maybe you're here because you think there is something in the Bible that that can meet you where you are and help you in your present need. And I'm telling you, this is it. You may have a financial crisis. You may have a relational crisis. You may have some other kind of difficulty. And I'm telling you, this is the, the solution to your deepest problem, which works its way out into every other problem. Every time somebody is baptized, there's an invitation to everyone else who hasn't. Every time someone is baptized and they are celebrating their new name in God, that is an invitation to everyone who has not been, become a believer in Jesus to believe. Those of you who haven't believed in Jesus, I want to invite you this morning. The invitation is open. God is calling you. I'll be a little bit more direct. In fact, God is commanding you because God is God. And he sent his son to live the life you should have lived, to die the death you deserve to die, to rise again a new life that you might be forgiven and find new life. And his one command for you is not fix your life, not make everything right, not measure up. His one command for you is believe in Christ. Trust in the Savior. Stop trying to perform and rest instead in God's performance for you. Stop trying to be God and rest instead in God his love for you, his performance for you. Set aside your pride and embrace humility. It's a beautiful thing, you guys. The God of the universe is not too disappointed with you. The God of the universe is not too proud to accept you. The God of the universe is humble and forgiving and ever-present in grace. See, the gospel is a message about what God has done for you. It's not advice about what you should do for God. And so God is calling you simply to rest, to trust, to give up your works, to establish your own name, your works, to establish your own glory and instead rest in who he is and what he's done. What's keeping you from this blessing? What are you afraid of? 
What area of pride are you refusing to release? What questions need to be answered? Here's the thing, you guys. We're here to walk with you. There are deep and hard questions, and we encourage you to ask them. But you got to be willing to do some hard work, right? you got to be willing to dig in. It's not good enough to be a cynic and sit on the sidelines. It's not good enough to just peek over the fence. you got to actually ask the questions and look for the answers, and we're here to help you do that. So ask. If you want to find out what it means to believe in Jesus, to become a follower of Christ, to be a disciple, let us know, and we would love to speak with you and help you discover the beauty of the gospel. For those of you who have believed, but you haven't been baptized, (laughs) seriously, why not? (laughs) Why not? The God of the universe has set up a party for you, and you're not showing up, (laughs) right? He did all the work, just like your mama. He gave you birth, and he wants to celebrate it by this great celebration of a renaming ceremony. He's like, I'm waiting. Here it is. It's your first step of obedience, your first step of discipleship. Why wouldn't you? (laughs) Why wouldn't you want to follow your Savior to take that step of discipleship? Why wouldn't you choose to come to your own party? I'm going to encourage you, if if you're a believer in Jesus and you haven't been baptized, do it. (laughs) Jump in. We have a, a baptism um, coming up. We, we schedule them because obviously we can't keep our, our baptismal filled up here all the time. Otherwise, I tell you, get up here right now, okay? But, but, but on Easter morning, we're going to be doing um, baptisms. And if you're like, oh, man, I'm going to be traveling. I can't be here. Let us know. We'll set it up. Even if it's just you, we're glad to do that. We want to help you be obedient to take that step of discipleship to be baptized. If you were sprinkled as a baby, I know that this is where it gets a little bit tricky for some of you. You're like, I was raised in a Christian home, and I was sprinkled as a baby, and, and, um, and I'm just going to share my heart with you right now. I'm going to encourage you to get dunked. It's my conviction as I read through the New Testament that, that baptism is always represented, is always seen as a step of obedience after exercising faith. They believe, and they were baptized. It is a consistent pattern through the New Testament. I'm going to encourage you. I really believe that, that it should be an act of, of obedience and discipleship and what it means to simply follow Jesus and to say, I am submitting my life to my Savior, right? I'm going to pause for a minute. How cool is it, by the way, that God's first command to us as new believers is to come celebrate our new name? How cool is that? His first command is not go fix yourself. His first command isn't go. His first command is, hey, you guys, come and celebrate. <laughs> I'm giving you a new name, right? I know some of you who were sprinkled are thinking, what if my parents get offended, right? We have this long tradition. It's a culture in our family. There's this thing that I'm, I'm afraid that. Here's the thing, you guys. Your parents had you sprinkled with the hope that you would become a follower of God, that you would have faith in Jesus, What better way for you to celebrate their hope? What better way for you to honor their intention than to actually exercise that faith by following obediently in baptism? And if you explain it that way, I think you can take a lot of the barb out of it. It is not a challenge to your history or to your family. It is a celebration of your heritage, but it's also an exercise of your faith. Finally, many of you are believers, 
and you have been baptized, and you guys are like, oh, man, I can't do it again. No, you really can't. Um, you only get to do it once. But here's the one. Don't let your heart lose the wonder and the celebration of that event. Remind yourself of the great honor of your new name. Your baptism wasn't just a celebration of what was done. It is a reminder of who you are, right? That's the whole point. This isn't just something that was done. It is who you are. You have a new name. You have a new identity in Christ. And when you look back to your baptism, it reminds you that you are not now who you once were that you are not defined by what you have done. You are not defined by what has been done to you. You're not even defined now by what you do. You're defined by what he has done. And the one who has committed to save you and deliver you is committed to change you and free you. As you look back at your baptism, let it fill your heart with wonder and with joy that you now live every moment with a new name marked by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You've been born again. And God's DNA now courses through your spiritual veins and is changing you. Maybe slowly. Maybe even painfully. But for the good. So that you will become like Jesus. So you yielded to God when you believed in the gospel and, and you followed in obedience when you were baptized, keep yielding and keep pushing into relationship with him, with Father, with the Father, your Abba, with Jesus, your, your, your brother, Scripture calls him, with the Spirit, your new life. Push into your sonship. Push into the glorious humility of, of what really matters in your life. Push into mission. And find out what it means to live for the age to come. Keep pushing into the new identity that you've been given in God. If you want to find out more about baptisms at Trailhead, I encourage you to come next week. Attend the 9 a.m. and go to the class at the 11 a.m. We'll answer all your questions. We'll be sure to um, help you get the information you need. If you want to talk about becoming a follower of Christ, just let us know. We would be thrilled to do it. All right, as we move into a time of response, I'm going to put some, some questions on, on the screen. We always take a time of, of just reflection before we take communion. It, it is a time to we create space for the Spirit of God just to speak to your heart, to comfort, to encourage, to challenge, what, whatever the Spirit of God needs to do. So first of all, if you haven't been baptized, I'm going to encourage you in this time, ask God what He wants you to do. If you're not a believer, seek God. If you are a believer and you haven't been baptized, don't come with your excuses. Don't come with your explanations. Don't come with everything already made up in your mind. Ask God, what do you want me to do? What does it mean for me to follow you? Believer, remind yourself of the wonder that you have been made a child of God. That for all of your frailty, for all of your sin, for all of your failures, for all the ways you daily let yourself down, let alone God. God does not see you marked by your performance. He sees you covered in Christ. You are a child of God. And finally, I'm going to encourage you to ask God, what does it mean for me to follow on mission? How do you want me to serve? And to whom am I being sent? 
if the Spirit of God is active, moving around like this wind, bringing life and pointing to Jesus, what does it mean for us to be part of that movement? Ask. He'll show you. Let me pray for us. We'll go into a time of response. Father God, we, um, we thank you for the incredible privilege of being invited into your family. We thank you that you did all the work and we inherit all the blessing. We thank you that even our faith is a gift from you. It's not something we produce or work at. It is simply a response to truth and a response made possible by the Spirit of God coming and moving within us to show us the beauty of your Son. So, Lord, I pray that you will um, renew our joy. I mean, baptism is a celebration, but it is far from an end in and of itself. It's a pointer to something much, much greater. I pray, Lord, that we would be a people walking in our new identity, that we would be a people walking in the power and in the presence and, and in the awareness of our new name, that we would be a people marked by the age to come, full of hope, driven by faith, and overflowing with love. I pray for my friends here this morning that are wrestling with with faith. I pray, Spirit, that you would incubate within them now a yearning to be part of your family, a yearning for your love and your presence, and that you would awaken within them a response of faith to the promise of the gospel. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are followers but maybe have grown cold, have become distracted, um, or maybe just kind of going through the motions in some way. Spirit of God, I pray that you will um, just rattle the cage. Man, blow, blow with that life-giving wind that reawakens joy and wonder. Spirit, we're your church. We're your people move within us and awaken within us the right desires that produce true joy. You guys take a few minutes and pray. We'll share communion in a moment.